Welcome to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Wes. I want to welcome you all to this week's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. And um, very grateful to have a friend of mine on today, Rod Moyer. Uh, Rod and I met in Kenya, I think in 2001. Uh, he came out at that time with Samaritan's Purse with their Turban DC3 project, and we served together for a little bit of time before uh, Leah and I returned to the U.S. But Rod, it's great having you on today, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Wes. Glad uh, glad to be able to do this. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, April 2002, actually, was was when we arrived there, and the plane followed about a month or two later uh, when we came to Kenya. 20 years ago, my goodness gracious, time flies by. <laughs> it's been a lot of water under that bridge in the last 20 years. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. But it's great to reconnect with you. I was, uh, I was uh, very grateful, as I mentioned before we started to record, that uh, Dan Gleason gave me your contact information. He said, hey, call Rod. He'd, he'd be a good candidate, and I think he will be too. So as we get into this, kind of tell us your aviation story. How'd you get started? Well, you know, people often ask me, you know, why did I or how did I get started or what got me interested in aviation? And and I was not one of those kids that grew up in aviation. I'm the in fact, I'm the first to fly in my family. The only well, no, I'm not the only one now, but I was the first. And um, uh, I just grew up watching birds and I'd sit there and watch birds fly and I wanted to be able to do what they do. And that that sparked an interest in flying. I really didn't know anything about it or didn't know the first thing about aviation, except that I was, we lived in Colombia at the time. I was, I'm an MK missionary kid from Colombia and went to a boarding school in Venezuela and you'd airline back and forth to school uh, eight times a year. And, and uh, so that was, that was interesting. And that was probably what, you know, back then you could sit up in the cockpit and ask the flight attendant if you could go up front and they'd let you sit in the jump seat in these old 727s. And, right. And so that was that and watching birds are probably what sparked an interest. And then in, in middle school, early high school, there was a, one of our dorm parents was a flight instructor and he, and he taught a ground school. And so that further peaked. So I took that class that further peaked this interest. And then I made the decision. Yep. I would love to fly. This is what I want to do. And, uh, I graduated high school in 90. Well, in the late eighties, guess what movie came out? Top Gun, yes, right? <laughs> exactly. I am one of those guys that I'm okay. That's it. I'm going to the Naval Academy. All right. And, and so I, I tried, I started the process and I wasn't anywhere near smart enough to go there and didn't have the connections and, and, uh, ultimately, you know, gave that one up and started looking at universities that offered flight programs and settled on Letourneau. My dad worked for RG Letourneau back in the late fifties, early sixties as a heavy equipment operator down in Peru. And that's actually where he wow. received his call to missions. And in order to, to go to Peru, they sent him to Letourneau to teach him 
hydraulics and and heavy equipment operation and and so that was how i even knew about the place okay and and you couldn't you had i I could only afford to apply at one school because you had to pay with the application Hmm. and and so it was down to embry riddle university of north dakota and laterno and i could only afford one so i picked laterno because they had the uh the lowest academic standards, <laughs> quite honestly, <laughs> I figured I had the best chance to make it to that school. And, uh, it, <laughs> it was, awesome. uh, it, it was the best decision. I mean, the best, well, I don't know how much of a decision it was, but, uh, the best thing the I could have done. <laughs> Absolutely. It was. And so in 90, I started school there. I was there through 94 and uh, graduated and they hired me as a flight instructor. And so I remained on instructing for two and a half years. And then in late 96, well, early, early to that first semester of 96, a couple of the, my, my college friends went to this company called K and K aircraft who was dropping sterilized mediterranean fruit flies out in california and then one of my friends went they also had a project down this company had a project down in managua nicaragua dropping sterilized screwworm flies and i thought that was interesting single pilot king airs king air 90s and and i was tired of instructing had done it for two and a half years and applied and and it was a season when the company was hiring uh, fair amount of Laterno graduates. And so that's where I went. I, I, uh, never, I never really had a, a desire to be a missionary pilot nor an airline pilot. My desire was more corporate and cargo okay. in that direction. And, uh, so this seemed like a good natural way to get going in that direction and, and, uh, was hired and, and sent straight to Nicaragua and two months and it was, it was all on the job training. The company was small, maybe 60 people altogether at the time. And, and so I was sent directly down there, was taught how to fly the airplane there. Michael, who was, who is currently the CEO at dynamic K and K aircraft eventually became dynamic aviation, um, came down and did my, did my checkout and, um, after a couple of months, he asked me to manage the program. So I managed the base for about three and a half years. And it was during that time that we wrapped up operations in Nicaragua, moved the base down to Panama, set up the base down there. And then they were starting starting uh, an on-demand charter operation with these with these King Airs. The, uh, the, the company took a gamble in late 97, early 98, and they purchased the entire inventory of unpressurized King Air 90s from the U.S. Army. The U.S. Army was getting rid of their fleet, and nobody in the industry wanted them because they were certified for military use. They were military-certified aircraft. They were not civilian-certified, and no one thought that it was possible to recertify them. But but they figured the the owner of the company at the time, Carl Stolzfus, you know, he had a a brilliant chief pilot and director of maintenance at the time, a guy named Verge Gottfried. You know, Ken mm-hmm. Ken referenced him a little bit in his mm-hmm. in your talk with him. 
they, they, they got their heads together and figured out, you know, we can do this. And so they took a gamble and they purchased the lot. It was 124 King ears in one, in one sale. Wow. And, uh, and so that was the moment that k and Aircraft became Dynamic Aviation. And it was really the launch point to who the company is today. That It's a great platform. It's an unpressurized, but it's a King Air 90. So it's, it has the strength and reliability of a King Air. And, um, but uh, it's unpressurized. So you can modify it. You can cut holes in it. You can do strange things to it. And, uh, and it doesn't have a lot of weight. So, so they were, they were going to get into the night charter uh, freight hauling business and so i was asked mm. to come up and help be a part of that so in mid 2000 i did that and um and it was while we were doing that about a year later that ken and and that was when i had met ken he was he was working for the company at the time and we were working for verge and and uh in the midst of dropping screwworm flies and then now the night freight hauling they were they were still the company was still spraying mosquitoes with dc3s with the fleet of dc3s so i had an opportunity to to sit right seat in the dc3 for several of those contracts and Mm -hmm. uh, the end of which i was typerated in the airplane and um the so that was my introduction to the dc3 very, very little experience. I probably had, you know, by the time, you know, the, the company wrapped up the use of the DC threes, I probably had, you know, a couple hundred hours in them and, uh, they figured out that they could spray cheaper per acre with Kingers and they could DC three. So that made the DC three obsolete. He -hmm. sold the fleet and, uh, and, Kept and sold them all except for one, the one that's now Miss Virginia. Virginia, right? Because they were all piston yep. DC threes, right? They were all piston DC threes, but they kept that one because of her Wycliffe Jars heritage, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's just it's just it's a special airplane. But that was my introduction to the DC threes. Well, late late two thousand one, Michelle and I had just gotten married, and uh, we'd been independently, even before we got married, I started feeling a restlessness and a, and a desire to be involved in something besides hauling auto parts around. Sure. And, uh, and it was God's early call to ministry, to doing something for him directly. Uh, and I didn't know what it looked like. And then Michelle and I got married. Turns out he was doing the same thing in her heart. And so we started looking and we were, we were willing to walk away from aviation altogether. We were looking at mercy ships. We just wanted to go overseas. I didn't really have an interest in going back to Latin America. I had been born and raised in Colombia, lived my whole life in South America, had just spent the last three and a half years working in Central America. I wanted to see another part of the world. And, uh, and it was during that time that Samaritan's Purse purchased the Turbine DC-3, and Ken was hired to join them. Virgil was hired, and Ken called me up and said, look, you need to put your application in. So we really prayed about it and uh, felt like this was where the Lord was leading us. And a and, uh, year and a half later, um, we were in Kenya with Samaritan's Purse, and that began our, our 15-year relationship with sp we were eight years in kenya um partnered you know as you know with a mayor seconded a mayor 
and um, flying the DC-3 and eventually was checked out in the caravan. And then we brought a Kinger 200 over, operated that there all under, under AMAIR. And, um, but, you know, as you well know, Africa uh, can wear you out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we were worn out after eight years. I, I was wearing for the last several of those years, I was wearing two hats. I was chief pilot and director of operations and, and flying a full schedule. Uh, just, it was, you know, you just never saw home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you were home, you were at work, uh, because you just had office work that was piling up and, and we were just burnt out. And we told Virgil, look, if you have anything else, we didn't want to leave Samaritan's purse, but, uh, wanted to know if he had anything else. And about, a, about six months later, he called us up and said, look, our program up in Alaska is growing. It started out as a short caravan and they replaced that with a grand caravan and they had, uh, uh, a U21. They, they, Samaritan's Purse purchased two U21s from Dynamic, had them modified with an extended nose for baggage. And they, they gave one of those to MARC, Missionary Aviation Repair Center, who SP right. was working very closely with up in Alaska. Okay. And, and so Samaritan's Purse purchased one, gave it to MARC, purchased another one, and decided to operate it to support Samaritan's Purse projects up in Alaska. So they... At the time, they had a U-21 and a Grand Caravan, and then they purchased their first Casa 212 because their projects were starting to grow. Mm. And so suddenly, they were going from a small one-airplane operation to now they have three airplanes with visions of growth, and they needed somebody to come in in the role of a chief pilot to help develop SOPs for the airplanes and operations manual for the for the operations there and so the timing worked out Virgil asked if we would be interested in in fulfilling that role and we said yep and next thing we knew we're we were in Alaska and we did that for six years over the course of that time we had um, ended up giving the second U-21 to MARC and replaced it with a King Air 200 so we operated two Casa 212s, we had, we, 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 uh, got a second one. In fact, the second one used to operate next door to us in Nairobi. So I don't know if you remember Jim Gaunt and the Casa 212 that was parked next door to us. Yes. That airplane that is now owned by Samaritan's Purse up in Alaska. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's small world. Crazy. But it arrived when it arrived in Alaska, it still had the same paint scheme. And uh, now today it's been repainted, whole new panel, upgraded avionics. But if you look at the emergency exits, they're still in English and Swahili. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. You know, along that line, do you remember there was a Red Cross turbine DC-3 that sat down by Customs in, at Wilson yeah. Airport? MFI now owns that airplane. Oh, do they? Yeah, that airplane ended up going to South Africa and... Brian Stolzfus bought it and then sold it to MFI because oh, MFI wow. was looking for another oh. airplane. And so Brian found it and, uh, and um, helped them get it. And so now it's sitting in the hangar at MFI here in uh, Fort Pierce and it's being completely rebuilt. 
it's stripped down to just parts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's really? a big hanger queen right now. Yeah, but it's it's under a substantial um, overhaul. So yeah, oh, wow. that's another little small world <laughs> of airplanes that, that have come out of Wilson Airport. <laughs> yeah, so, you have continue. to look at them pretty carefully if they come from Wilson Airport. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not a Let 310, and you'd have to really wonder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what's been in that airplane? Yeah. yeah. So, so we did that. We were up there for six years and helped help essentially establish a flight program there that was a little bit more professional and 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 well run. Great. There was great leadership. Our 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 boss up there, Mike Barlow. You know, just one of the most humble and capable pilot mechanics that I've ever that I've ever encountered and worked with and and uh, can't speak high enough about highly enough and and um and it was what an honor what an honor it was to work for him and with him and but um alaska was not kind to my wife and uh she she suffered from allergies you know all year long so during the summer the fireweed and the Cottonwoods would be blooming all summer long, and and they would just really, uh, just a, it, it was very hard on her. And then in the winter, the cold was hard on her. And the homes in Alaska are very tight. There's no air conditioning. There's no need for air conditioning. And and what you have for heat is is either in floor heating or baseboard heating and fireplaces and and but the fact that they're so tight means that evacuating moisture from the house becomes a problem and so there are different ways of doing that but you know these were some of the hard lessons we learned from living up there and we'd have you and you'd find you know so you have the insides of your windows sweat a little bit and and at the base of the window you might have a little bit of moisture at the tray and in that in that tray from the dust that would have collected, there'd be a little bit of mold. I mean, you'd hardly even notice it. And the and the ordinary average person, it would never bother them. They wouldn't even know it was there, but it was killing her. Hmm. And so, so twelve months out of the year, her body was fighting something, and it and it was and it was actually really affecting her health to the point that that the doctor said, "Look, you need to get her out of here. She's not going to make it." Oh, wow. So. Uh, you know, we just, but we didn't want to leave. Neither of us wanted to leave. We loved Samaritan's Purse. We loved Alaska. We loved the team that we were working with. We loved the ministries that we were supporting. And yet uh, it was one of the most difficult decisions we ever made. Our pastor sat down with us and he said, look, let's, the three of us pray for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, let's get together again and talk. And we did. And it was clear that God was asking us to, to move on and, and we knew that that we had a home back at Dynamic, so we called Dynamic, called Carl up, and uh, asked him if he if he'd take these prodigals back. And of course, he said yes. And 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 so after 15 years with Samaritan's Purse, the last six of those being in Alaska, we found ourselves back where we had started, back in the Shenandoah Valley, and uh, flying for Dynamic once again. All right. Hmm. And so what does your mission look like now? What do you do now with Dynamic? Well, I came back as a, what they call a company pilot. 
and essentially that's just somebody who does a lot of the corp, a lot of the miscellaneous flying, corporate flights, re, you know, maintenance return to service flights, and then plug in holes and projects wherever there's a need for a pilot. So I did that for a couple of years, and then oh, let's see, I've been back since sixteen, so somewhere around late. 2018, I believe, I was asked to be the company's director of flight operation of uh, flight safety. So that's the role that I that's my primary role in the company now is flight safety, and I have a counterpart in the maintenance side, tech op safety, and then a counterpart on the environmental side. And the three of us make up. Uh, like a safety committee for the company, but my focus is more on flight operations and, and um, that's my desk job. And then because of the background in flying the round engine DC three, all those years ago, and then all the turbine DC three flying in Africa, uh, I, I was plugged into what we at the time called our legacy fleet. Carl had, had a, had old vintage airplanes that were that were significant to the company, significant to the family heritage. Okay. And he was so he has these airplanes. He's not a collector just for the sake of collecting. He has these airplanes because they have a significance to both the company and the family legacy within the company. So th- the fleet includes the DC three. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know that 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 history was very very clear he has uh, we have two beach 18s one one doesn't fly it's in the process of being restored one does fly beautiful a beautiful vintage interior uh, 1959 beach 18 wow and he has he has that because of the days when he used to do mosquito and gypsy moth spraying beach 18s uh, we have a t6 dan Dan briefly talked about that and a steerman mm-hmm. and uh, those are the, the flying airplanes. We do also have a cub. Uh, we used to have a J three, but now it's, they sold that one because Carl wanted something with electrical system in it. So he bought a, a legend, Mary, a legend cub. Okay. But uh, so that's the, that's the, what we call now the vintage fleet. And my, my role, so I fly each of those airplanes and have been checked out in all of them. And, and um, so my other hat th- that I wear is to coordinate flight operations for those airplanes. So we'll have a guest of the company comes in or, or like last Friday, it was bring your kids to work day. So we, we gave rides to employees and their kids in the DC three, you know, probably did i think we did i think we did eight trips given rides in the dc3 take the dc3 to oshkosh we take it up there every year use it for promoting the company answering questions Uh, we had a big company presence at oshkosh this year and and um uh so we'll we'll take those airplanes to various events we'll do tribute flights over the valley tribute flights in d in washington dc um and just various uh, events we were in Europe in 2019 with the DC three, and um, so my my role is to check out new guys in the airplanes as we as we have a need, and then to just coordinate 
their use for various promotional reasons. Sure. Sure. So of all these airplanes that you've flown through your career, what's your favorite airplane? What's been your favorite one? Well, or do you have you, one? You're, you're going to get the same answer that you got from Dan Gleason and Ken Small. It's <laughs> yeah. And I get that question frequently and every airplane is different. Mm-hmm. They, I, I can tell you planes that are probably my least favorite, but, um, but I would say the most enjoyable airplane to fly, but it used to be the Casa or the Caravan. They were the, they were the easiest airplanes to fly. They were the easiest airplanes to fly accurately. Hmm. And there's something about Cessna got it right when they built the Caravan. It's certainly not the fastest airplane, but, but there's, there's, there is a balance and a symmetry in that airplane that's almost unequal, except Casa did the same thing with the 212. But out of all those, out of all the airplanes I've flown over the years, I think now the only airplane that makes me makes my heart skip a little bit whenever I walk up to it is the Beach 18. Okay. There's just something very special about that airplane. And, and I, it's hard to explain, and, but there's just a very, a very special quality about that airplane. Okay. All right. So backtracking a little bit, how did, how did you come to know the Lord? What age were you? I was young. I was, I was uh, about six years old. My folks were missionaries, and and um, it, we at the time they lived way up in the mountains, two hour hike beyond the end of the dirt road. I mean, way way remote, way high up in the mountains of northern Colombia, working with a tribal group up there, and and church every Sunday morning was was at the house in we had a like a large common area outside the the, the private portion of the house mm. and it was, a, it was a covered common area that that indians and and other locals could come and and rest and mom had a clinic there and 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 that was being that was where church was held every sunday morning and dad Dad was, was, I don't remember the details of the sermon. All I know is that throughout the course of his sermon, he described heaven, he described hell and, and, and just the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. And at the end of that, I talked to him about it and I, I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart and, and make him my Lord and savior. And so my dad led me to the Lord. That, that Sunday morning. Hmm. That's so cool. Hmm. So over your life as, as a pilot and as a, as a Christian, are there any biblical or life principles that God has kind of revealed to you through aviation, through flying? Well, um, I have never been one to map out my life. And when I was in school, I used to talk to the, some of the, you know, the guys that I was in school with and they, they had it all figured out. They wanted to be 
an, an airline captain for American Airlines by this age. And so they knew that if I need to do that, then I need to do this first. And this, they, they essentially would lay out their path. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always felt funny about that because I wasn't doing that. And I had a vague notion of what I wanted to do. I mentioned corporate and cargo. I had this vague notion, but I didn't. All I knew is that the next step in front of me was flight instructing. And that's what you have to do. You have to flight instruct. And it was mm-hmm. while I was flight instructing that I had I heard about this company called Dynamic. And uh, so I'm like, well, that's there you go. That's twin engine turbine time and and that sounds like fun i know the language i'll go to latin america and do that well while i was there i was introduced to dc3s and not only that but i was introduced to a man uh, who was my mentor he was ken's mentor verge gottfried mm-hmm. and and between virgil michael and carl they they uh essentially formed me into the pilot that I am today and the philosophy of, of, of flying that I use today. And it was largely because of the influence of those three men. And, and then we get married and he moves us off to Kenya. Well, I ended up being able to use much of what I learned at dynamic uh, with you know, while I worked there in Kenya and, and every, everything that I've done in life has, you know, I don't think it was until probably we were up in Alaska that that I stepped back and looked back over my life. And it occurred to me that everything that I had done since graduating from Laterno, well, probably since graduating high school, everything that I had done was preparing me just for the next step. And, and ultimately it was preparing me for, you know, for, you know, that maybe more steps down the road, but, but everything that I was doing and that I had done up until that point was just preparing me for the next step. And, and that's all he's, that's all God has ever wanted is he just wants me to be faithful right here, right now, where I am and not worry about trying to chart this course for my life. And, uh, and so I'll get, I'll get tempted to, to be discouraged or thinking, my goodness, you know, it's just, I was, in fact, I was just thinking about that two days ago. I'm, I'm in Ver- North central Vermont right now, dropping rabies vaccines from a U21 for the USDA. It's a contract for the USDA and we're flying 500 feet, low level, it's nap of the earth flying at 130 knot ground speed up and up and down these valleys and mountains. But uh, two days ago, I jumped in the King Air in the morning, I'm getting settled in and I'm getting ready to start the engines. And I just had this flashback and I thought to myself, I have been starting U-21s since 1996. and it's like and they haven't changed it still smells the same it's still a u21 
like these King Air 90s. I've been doing this since 1996. Now, there's been a lot of other stuff that's happened between 96 and now. But here I am starting the, the right engine on a U21 that I've been – and it's like I'm, I'm tempted to be discouraged. It's like, really? Is, is this been my life? And, and here I am. So I'm still flying uh, U21s. But, but, uh, but then I remember, you know what? This is exactly where God has placed us. Mm-hmm. He, because my role here at, at Dynamic is calling on experiences and lessons that I've learned in Alaska, in Kenya, from Amer. Amer taught me so much. Uh, my time with Samaritan's Purse, going back to the early days of working for this company. And, and, and it's like God saying, look, your life is not your own. And I'm constantly reminded about this. You know, it's, it's, we, we know this as husbands. When we got married, you know, our, and we, now we have children, our life is not our own. Right. And, and when it comes to our work life and what I do for a living, my life is not my own. I was bought with a price. Now I know that that passage in Corinthians is discussing uh, immorality and and our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but there is still that phrase and that concept that says, "Look, you are not your own. I bought you, and I have a good purpose for your life, and that purpose, and I'm only going to reveal to you what you need to do today or tomorrow, not ten years from now." I think I I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'd be discouraged if I had any idea what he's going to have me do in 10 years. Right. I'd be scared to death. But, uh, and so in my role here, I, and especially within flight safety, I, I see this job more as, as an opportunity to mentor, to take these younger pilots, help them understand the reasons why, you know, because the company went from 60 people when I first got hired to now we're, we're pushing over 700 employees in the whole company. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a culture and there's a history that, well, there's a history that gets lost and there's a, there's a culture that, that still flows within the company that still exists. But I feel like the Lord's brought us back at a time where we can help people understand the why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we operate the airplanes the way we do? And as I as I push out, you know, flight safety publications or articles or stories or or accident accident analysis, you know, the longer you're in the business, the less you have to look outside of your own experiences to come up with lessons <laughs> of what not to do yeah that's, that's right and so that's ken right. mentioned in his discussion about about the uh about setting the dc3 on its belly well that was me that was 100 percent me i was the one who did it and and there are lessons there are lessons to learn from that in fact i kept the worst of the bent blades and it goes with me everywhere i go and it sits in my office it's in the corner of my office and people will ask, Hey, what's that all about? Well, that's an opportunity. And if they have a moment, I'll tell them a story. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And then through my interactions with these pilots, uh, even when discussing uh, mindsets and attitudes, you know, let me tell you a time about when I dropped a DC-3 with engines running on its belly. And so, uh, or where my lack of leadership set up a situation where one of our pilots flew a kinger through a set of power lines. And uh, so, you know, God has allowed me to experience so much through aviation and I'm still alive today and he has blessed me. He's blessed our family and he's, and he's now put, and he's now put me in a position where I can hopefully take these pilots and say, look, don't do what I did, you know, or you're starting to go down this path and I was going down that path, or I've seen that I've seen employees of mine go down that path. And this is where it led. And you can shepherd these people and help them understand uh, how to aviate well, how to be professionals, and then how to live their life uh, as servants of the Lord. Wow. So you had mentioned that Virgil and Mike and some other guys have definitely been mentors to you. And when you were talking about that, it really made me think about what you're describing is discipleship. And I think that's something that so many people miss in their lives, whether they're believers or not, even just in, just in our world is having someone alongside of you to be, as you just mentioned, to be that shepherd, to be that guide. And what a, what a awesome, what a blessing it is to be able to work in, in, in an environment that has that culture, that management sees the importance of, of that and to put you in a position to do that. I think that's, that's an incredible ministry and you should be very encouraged <laughs> by that. Um, well, I'm not sure. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, sometimes I wonder if they were just looking for, you know, they just poked their head out of the hallway and saw me walking down the hall and said, Hey, you, you're the new safe flight safety guy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you have we need a pulse. flight safety guy. guy. What's Rod doing? <laughs> um, but uh, no, mentorship is so important. You know, we need somebody in our life who will laugh at us. Mm-hmm. But but we know that when they laugh at us, uh, it's because they have our best interests in mind, and and are not afraid to say, "Look, that was a that was a poor decision." Right. And I've had those I've had those men in my life, and you know I can think you know I've had I've had four you know four mentors, and and these were the guys who when I did something really stupid. And uh, later on, I'm like laying awake at night, staring at the ceiling, thinking through what I'd just done that day or, or, or I, you know, I, I ground loop an airplane, you know, ground loop a, a, a steerman or, or just do something. These are, these are men who you actually want to call them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I couldn't wait 
that pick up the phone and say, hey, you'll never believe what I just did. And it's not because I'm looking for affirmation. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for them to make me feel good. I'm not looking for them to say, oh, no, you're, 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 you know, you're better. You're, you're okay. And you're, you're a better pilot than that. Don't worry. That was no, that's not what you're looking for. You're, you're, you're looking, you're basically, you want to bear your soul, say, look, this is what I just did. Help me think through why I did what I did and what can I do better? And, and if I need to get laughed at, they'll laugh at me, but it's, it's, it's uh, the wounds of a friend or faithful are the wounds of, of a friend. Mm. And, um, and so you're looking for somebody who, who wounds you faithfully. And because you know that their deepest interest is to see you improve and i think that i think we saw that uh very clearly in the life of jesus here on earth with his disciples and he they were his disciples just like you mentioned discipleship was was what that was all about but but he was i think he he would do that he would faithfully wound them them to understand and, and it may be hurt at the time but these would be the lessons that they would call on and think about and dwell on many years later once he once he returned to heaven mm-hmm. but mentorship is a is a huge huge deal and i don't think enough people seek it right i was at a i was at a conference recently it was a warbird operator conference this past february and in a room of probably 200 uh, pilots. These are guys that owner operators of P-51s, T-6s, T-28s, you name it. You know, these, these are, are all like Uber type A personality individuals. And, and the man who was leading this talk um, said, I, he said, raise your hand if you have a mentor in your life. And you look around this room and maybe 5% of the people raised their hands. And he's like, well, what's wrong with the rest of you? Why have you not sought out a mentorship relationship? And that's, you know, this is a secular environment coming from a secular guy. But even he gets it. He gets the mm-hmm. importance of, of mentorship. Mm-hmm. How, do you see, how would you seek out a mentor if you were to give that advice? If somebody was to ask, well, how do you, how do you find a mentor? How do you do that? Well, that's an interesting question, and uh, I don't know that these four men really knew that they were my mentors. So it wasn't like I went to them and said, "Hey, uh, I, you know, I'd like to have a mentor relationship with you." I think that I think that there's a place for that, probably, and it can probably work, but the idea is to develop a relationship, identify somebody who whatever it is that you're trying to be mentored through. So, you know, this is an aviation podcast. So for pilots, find somebody who does it right, who does it well, who's disciplined, who's humble, somebody who this is who I want to be like. And it's not a, a, 
it's not like an idol, but I want to be able to, you know, I see in him what I would like to be as a professional aviator. And, and then you just, you, you have the relationship, you develop a relationship with that individual. And I think it's just organic. It grows on its own and it may never be enough like this, an official labeled mentorship relationship, but this right. is the person that you go to. And, and right. over time that individual will take you under their wing. And, but I think it's, I think it's a mentee who needs to seek it out who needs to seek out that relationship and identify that person and seek out that relationship and then make it happen hmm. to, to try to set up anything formally. I think it's a little bit weird and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I think, it, I think it can work sometimes, but I don't, I don't, right. I've right. never really seen it very successful <laughs> right. to call someone and say, Hey, I was wondering, would you be my mentor? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know you. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, on the part of the mentoree or the person seeking it, it does, you know, I think the first step is to acknowledge and to humble yourself and say, you know what, I need, I need help or I need, I need someone to come into my life to, to guide me and to help me. Yeah. And that's and, right. You know, it's like they say, the first step is to admitting you have a problem <laughs> or, or that sure. you need help. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I think for pilots, as you mentioned, the Uber type A's, you know, that's, that's crushing. That's, yeah. that's, that's a crushing in, um, admission and it's so hard. Yeah. And in the, in the, in the individual, it doesn't have to be a lifelong relationship. I mean, it could just be for a season course, but, uh, but but you're right. It, it requires a level of humility. It requires an admission that you don't have it all figured out. And there might be somebody out there who probably knows more than you do or has made more mistakes and learned more lessons than you have. And and let your let your behavior change without having to go through the hard lessons yourself. You know, Dan talked about the, uh, the definition of learning as a change in behavior based on experience. Well, if behavior hasn't changed, then learning didn't take place. And Right. And but the learning doesn't have to be your own experiences. It can be somebody else's. Right. Right. You know, I think of places I've been, I think it, even at AIM area, we had to share your own experience. Um, yeah. You know, program. I, I don't remember if that's exactly what it was called, but, you know, essentially, you know, write up a, a little letter and, you know, share what happened. And so other people can read it because. It's certainly easier and oftentimes a lot less expensive to learn lessons that others have from errors of others than have to go through it yourself. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, looking back over your career, what advice would you give the younger you? Well, you know, I thought about that question and uh, I don't know that I have a, um, like one nugget, you know, and as I, as I, as I come across, you know, I have a lot of younger youths that work at dynamic and, sure. Um, <laughs> sure. and so I'll see something, I'll, I'll note notice a trend or, and uh, some incident takes place. 
and and it may remind me of of uh, you know it, it opens an opportunity to talk about you know look this is this is a, a way to do this a little bit better but I think I think talking to pilots the one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given as a young impressionable pilot was the importance of, of discipline in flying and the importance of holding yourself to a very high standard. Mm. And so the standard that was given to me back then was plus or minus two degrees on heading plus or minus two knots on airspeed plus or minus 20 feet on altitude and plus or minus 50 feet per minute on the VSI. And that seemed like an insurmountable goal. But if that's how you fly, or if, it, or at least if that's how you seek to fly, whenever you, you know, every, every time you fly, if that's the standard that you hold for yourself, before you know it, guess what you're doing? Mm-hmm. You're holding airspeed within two knots. You're holding heading within two degrees. Your altitude just doesn't waver. And if it goes off 30, 40, 50 feet, you just, you notice it and correct for it. But what it does, it, it becomes second nature. But, but what it's doing is it's setting you up for that day when you have an emergency in bad weather at the worst time. Mm-hmm. And those years of flying disciplined to the point where now it's second nature allows you to expend only 20% of your mental capacity on flying and gives you 80% to manage the emergency where otherwise you're, it's just all you can do to keep that airplane under control. And you may have five or 10% left of brain power to try to figure out what in the world happened and what do I do about this? Hmm. And, and I was, I was, you know, I used to, I used to push that pretty hard and I was chastised one time and said, look, you're just discouraging pilots by, by that message. It's discouraging to them. And, and, and I pondered that for a while and I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree at all. I think that it's, it's a habit. It's a goal to, uh, to seek after. Um, But flight discipline is so important. But the second the second is being humble and teachable. You have to be approachable. Right. And too many times um, you see people who are just are, are not that way and they can't be taught. They can't be talked to. You know, the uh, I do a fair amount of formation flying and the most important part of the formation flight, in my opinion, is the debrief at the end of the flight. Hmm. And I mean, this is the, 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 the four T sixes get back or whatever the flight was. If it was a flight of DC threes, you get back from your flight and the debrief and the debrief, the, the, uh, the debrief always starts with the backseater in airplane number four. And then the pilot of airplane number four, then the, if there was a backseater number three and, and the rule is egos are checked at the door. If you, if there is, if there is an ego or if there is a defensiveness in the debrief, then learning won't take place. And, and you actually become a dangerous pilot. 
And mm-hmm. so starting with the number four guy who, who had the best perspective of the formation, you start the debrief and you start the critique. What went well? What could have done? What could have gone better? You know, you were a little bit out here. You were a little bit sucked all the time. You were acute and, and on and on. I mean, it just goes on and on and it doesn't matter. You're, you're helping build each other up and the benefit in that comes from being willing to receive criticism, accept it, even if you don't agree with it. There's always something to learn. You're going to learn something and receive it and, and, then, and then change. Allow it to form and allow it to change your behavior. And if you do that, you become a better pilot. You become a better person. And, and guess what? Guys will fly with you. And because you're, you're going to become a safer pilot because you're listening, you have an ear to hear what they have to say about how you flew. And, and you, you can only do that if you're willing to be humble and allow them to critique how you flew. So humility, teachability, and then high, and then flying to high standards. I think that's great advice. Well, as we, while we're already approaching an hour, um, <laughs> time flies. Oh, wow. we we're getting into good conversation. <laughs> I mean, good, good stuff. Good stuff. It's been great having having you on. Um, do you have any concluding comments or thoughts? No, I don't. You know, except I'm just grateful for the for what you're doing here, and it's been extremely encouraging listening to your other guests and. And, uh, and I just really, really appreciate what you're what you're doing here with this podcast. Well, I appreciate it. it. It has been a major learning curve. It's been a it's been a stretch. It's a little outside of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I get even like cold calling people in a sense like, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, <laughs> who do you think you are? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I've been. You know, as we were talking even before we started the recording, some you know some of these guests that we've had have just blown my socks off. It's like wow, you know, yeah, the, the stories yeah. and the wisdom. Um, yep. The if you've had just, some, you've had some heavy hitters. It's been it's been great. Yeah, and just you know the testimonies of what God has done in their lives or through them, and mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that maybe I've taken away from this so far the most is that i mean we can look at god's creation and see how vast and 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 deep and rich it is and of course as pilots we get that perspective from being you know being able to see it from above and as you mentioned you've been all around the world but then to see that same diversity and richness through people and how everybody who's been on the podcast came to know the Lord in a different way. Everyone yeah. has had different experiences, different revelations, you know, just completely different aviation careers. But yeah. yet the commonality in all of it has been Jesus. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's just amazing to have such diversity, but yet it all pins back on God. And that's, yeah. that's just been incredible to me. Um, 
and just being blessed by by just listening to all of you all in, in well in God is you get to life. listen to every one of them you're the greatest beneficiary yeah <laughs> from, from doing this <laughs> yeah yeah um you know and like you said you know my my prayer is that you know somehow word gets out and more people will will listen and and uh, and be encouraged because i definitely don't want it to be about me i just you know want to really give you guys the guests the the time the platform and just say hey here's what here's what i've learned about god this is what he's shown me about his character and and um and here's what he's done in my life and hopefully that will be um you know uh, kind of like an on-ramp for people to that don't know the lord to say hmm you know maybe i need to check check this jesus out and yeah look what he's done in people's lives and and so that's kind of my motivation behind it. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. Well, hey, it's been uh, it's been great having having you on, Rod. I really really appreciate your time and um, you joining us today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime. And um, in in the meantime, I wish you all the best, and may God continue to bless you and your family and uh, use you in your aviation career. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. Likewise. And uh, I just I pray that this that this podcast and this platform uh, really be used by the Lord to to point people to him. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, Rod. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, Wes. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to come back next week for more discussions and stories about God's Word and the amazing world of aviation. Until next time, set your course straight and stay on track. Mm